1: You're all right now. It's the Renegade. It's the people's radio. It's in your headphones. Allow me to introduce the illustrious, sweet man.
2: Marcus the game changer, the seventh, Jackson, D. Will the ill executive. He's like he's like Shug Knight without the anger management issues. Bill P, the sports P A C. is coming at a small angle. He's got, he's got all the basic colors. Uh, there's not a whole lot about forces brother don't know.
1: Can you dig it, dig it sucker? Featuring Ray. Ray, 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 Ray Justin Page
2: Eric
1: Hamilton. R.C. fam is like I, I, I blame it on Nintendo. <laughs> it's
2: definitely a gin party around here. Definitely a gin party. Don't
0: bring any Kool-Aid.
1: It don't get no better than this, baby. I want winners. You better
3: act like
1: this Pick it up a little bit. Okay? Get your chin up. Smile. Smile.
3: Anybody can be peace. Don't get no more
2: realer. All right, all right. Welcome to the Real Sports Guys. The Real Guys Talk Real Sports. RSG Renegade Radio. I am your host, Mark the Changer, and one-third of the illustrious three-man booth. Allow me to say as we start this off, you could have been anywhere in the world this evening, but you're here with us. We appreciate your patronage. And Before we get into the proceedings this evening, allow me to introduce the other two-thirds of the illustrious three-man booth. To my right, I got my man, D. Wills. Holler at the people. Man, I feel like I'm the
3: president of everybody. I'm the president <laughs> of everybody. That's
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's how I
3: feel today. I
1: feel today like a real G,
3: like a like a FIFA G. That's what I feel like right
1: now. One of FIFA Gs. Man, this, this
2: FIFA stuff has, has been killing me, man. This FIFA, this FIFA stuff has been killing me, man. This dude's tough bladder, man. He he sounds like he's it, man. You talking about you, the president of everybody? Come on, man. That don't even sound right. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs>
3: That's so that's a you know you know the, the show the uh, power is about to start this weekend. That's some power type stuff,
1: you know. Right. If you ever get to
3: watch that on stars, you know that's the that's that we taking over the city, New York state of mind type stuff. Yeah, he said I, he said if you voted for the prince, you know thank you and and those of you who you voted for me, but I'm now the president of everybody. I said woo, <laughs> that's Hank. <you." laughs>
2: Oh, man, he was feeling himself, too. He said it twice. like, in case you didn't hear me the first time, I did say I'm the president of everybody.
3: <laughs> that's some international Shug Knight type stuff, man. I, you got to love it, man. <laughs> you know? oh, that's gonna Stop this popularity, man, because Brothers of the Hood, like, oh, yes, I can feel that.
1: Uh, right. That's
3: how
2: I right. feel right now. Know. I
3: feel like I need to say that, you know. <laughs> you know? I, I feel right.
2: better by saying it. You know?
3: Okay, I'll leave it
2: alone. It it, it does kind of up your swag level slightly. I I feel you on that.
3: (laughs) It does. I just don't want the FBI messing with me, so I'm going
2: to leave it alone. (laughs) Hey, yeah, you you don't want that investigation. (laughs) Nobody wants that investigation, man. Nobody wants to investigate. (laughs) On my left, I got a special guest sitting in for Field T Sports PhD. We got the k guru in the house, Eric Hamilton. How you feeling, brother?
0: Man, I'm uh it's been a long time since I've been around you guys, so I feel good. Uh I don't have anything as cold as I'm the president of everybody, but like the theme song said, I want winners. I'm ready to win. It's game time. I'm ready to roll. All
2: right, with that said, we're going to get into the intro to let them know this is a portion of our show in which we get into everything we have for you tonight. This is our promise, our contract for you, and we will touch base on all these topics this evening before we leave the air. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and get into that. Remember, the Real Sports Guys brought to you by On the Rocks in Rocks, Illinois, Resistance Digital Solutions, Frederick's Accounting, and Excel Academics. Tonight, all guests and hosts will be brought to you via the Frederick's Accounting Gateway. Frederick's Accounting is the official accountant of RSG. Make sure you hit them up and let you know the real and let them know the real sports guy sent you. Here we go, fellas. Lots of NBA tonight. Uh, the finals are coming up. We're on the eve of the eve of the finals. If you feel me on that one, all right. It's been a long time since we had some hoops on TV. I've been watching NBA classics. You know what I mean. I got some uh, some Charlotte Hornets from '93 or '91 versus the Boston Ooh. Celtics. Got that series on DVR. I've been watching some. Muzzy Bogues and some old school Curry, all right, old spice <laughs> as they call them, old spice. <laughs> Dale Curry, you know, with Alonzo Mourning and uh and Larry Young, Larry Johnson when he was when he was a, a beast, you know, when he had them jets, we jump out of the gym. So I've been watching that to get my basketball fixed, um, you know, watching a whole lot of other stuff. Uh, you got the FIFA deal, so we're gonna talk, but we're gonna talk a lot of NBA tonight. Uh, we're going to recap the NBA playoffs. Uh, we also going to get into the finals, if you finals preview. So this is going to be an NBA-heavy show, given where we are in the calendar right now. So let's just go ahead and jump right into it, fellas. We're going to go through and talk about kind of the playoffs as a whole. Um, we're at the finals. It's been a pretty good playoff. Um been a lot of interesting things that have taken place. Um, opinions have evolved on certain teams. So we're going to just check in on certain situations around the league and just get a beat on how you guys are feeling about things. Over the last couple of weeks there's been some coaching changes. Uh Thibodeau is out in Chicago. Uh we don't know where he'll land, don't know if he'll take a job next year. Uh the Thunder, the Oklahoma City Thunder have hired Billy Donovan as their new head coach. Uh the New Orleans Pelicans are going to have going to be bringing in Alvin Gentry. Um, as their new head coach, who is currently the assistant uh, and assistant with the Golden State Warriors. And the Chicago Bulls, after getting rid of uh, Thibodeau, uh, signed on to have Fred Hoiberg, former Iowa State coach, now the coach of the Chicago Bulls, as their new head coach. So some teams are going in some different directions. Scott Skye has got another job uh, good for him with his uh, the franchise that drafted him, the Orlando Magic. Um so there's been some some moves, some moving and shaking on the coaching carousel. Um, some of these teams are contenders. When you're talking about the Bulls and Oklahoma City, and then you have some young teams trying to figure out their identity, trying to find that right coach to help them take the next step. When you talk about the Orlando Magic, who are still in rebuilding process, and then you have the uh, New Orleans Pelicans, who made the playoffs this year, have one of the best young players in the league, um, a top five talent in the league, and Anthony Davis, and are looking to figure out how can they help their team get to the next level and become a contender in a very, very deep and tough Western Conference. So, fellas, I want to get your opinion on some of the fires and hires that have taken place. I'll start with you, D. Wills. Um, what are some, What are your opinions of these hires and these fires? Uh, well, how do you think these teams are maneuvering themselves to take that next step and advance forward as they continue to evolve and hopefully move in a championship direction?
3: Uh I think the, the the one that I probably have the most concern if I start with, um, is Chicago. And part of that one is, you know, um in and, and, and you, you know as I as I do, I, I have my own set of criticisms for for Tibbs in terms of his inability to to do for himself what Doc Rivers did when he had him as the defensive coordinator while he worked the other side and, and not really finding that offensive coordinator and, and making some of those uh, adjustments. So I could, I I, I understand that aspect, um, but you, he also had to do an incredible job, you know, with a Derek Rose who was injury prone and some people might link some of that to the way that he coached. Uh, but it was, you know, when you look at the Rose injury, it was a freak accident um, in a lot of those things. And so to move away from him um, in a way is, is, it, it, you know, given where they are in terms of their franchise development, um, and then to bring in Floyd, Fred Hoiberg, um, which, you know, I think he could bring some offensive creativity, um, but I don't know how you've gotten better. So, you know, yeah, I think there might be more continuity between him and the front office, but I don't know how that makes you better as a team yet um, when there might have been some other hires out there with folks. And I think people are trying to follow this, um, kind of Steve Kerr stuff, but what they got to forget about, they can't forget about Steve Kerr is that he was very much attached and connected to the game in different ways. So he wasn't he wasn't kind of fresh coming into his job. He had a lot of individual kinds of experiences that prepared him for the moment um, in the same way I think Jason Kidd did. So um, that one concerns me. Um, Scott Skiles is an interesting guy. You know Scott Skiles is kind of like what's, what's our manager for the Orioles? Um, my guy that used to be uh, with the Yankees, um, and then moved Buck over Show to the, uh, Buck Show, the Buck Show. He like the Buck Showalter of, of of NBA basketball. You know Buck always got a chance to build a team, but he never could finish it. You know what I'm saying? That they he would get him to the he would change the culture, get them to the winning ways, and then they would always bring somebody in like Tori or somebody to finish the job. And it seems like his career is that way, where Chicago he helps at least lay the foundation for the culture, like or Milwaukee laid the foundation for the culture. You are gonna see this in Orlando, but is he gonna be the person who who has a chance to taste the champagne and finish the job? That's the part I don't know. But I think he's a right fit for that team to help them begin to build a winning culture. And I got, I think they got the right young guys who could buy into his his uh, his method. The problem is he's much like Tibbs. Will, he wear, his, will his welcome wear out with some of the young stars as they grow? it? And does he have enough savviness like a Coughlin to adjust his style at a certain point to allow for some freedom uh, to happen? Or like a Carlisle to adjust his style enough for him to win a championship. Um, the most interesting hire is Alvin Gentry. And I don't know if you, how you feel about Alvin. I'm still trying to understand him as a head coach. He's had a number of opportunities. Um, he has a way to fit in that. Um, and how he's going to fit in New Orleans is interesting. I think he's a great coach, but there's something that doesn't allow him to get over the top or he doesn't get a chance to get to finish the deal. He's almost like that Scouse type, but I don't see him as a bracer, And so I, I can't quite understand why he doesn't have an opportunity to actually finish the job. Um, he, he's a real interesting thing. So I think a number of these teams are, are waiting, but I think the best fit of all is really – what's happening in Oklahoma uh city. You know, I think that that decision is actually gonna make them better. Because I think one of their problems that they had in OK City um is the inability to make adjustments and to really leverage their talent um in a way. And I think Billy Donovan um has the kind of creativity and the mannerism and I think he comes in with enough of the respect that can allow for them to really maximize their talent in a way that I don't think um, their talent was being maximized by Scotty Brooks. And I think in some ways him coming in there uh, gives Duran a fresh start. I think he does a lot of stuff with the player development with some of their younger players. Some of the things that Brooks would allow to happen in terms of, you know, the kind of playing time he would give some of these young players in the, in the, during the regular season and then have that transition into the kind of effort they could provide for them in the turn, in the playoffs. Brooks, that rotation never did it in a way that I think Donovan will be able to to really leverage and, and, and add depth to that roster by the player development as well as adding new pieces.
2: All good points. I want to touch base on your Chicago point. Um, and, you know, the Chicago situation is really interesting, in my opinion. This is a situation that – once it, it was, there was talk that a decision was going to be made, and the decision was imminent. I kind of started to do a little research, and just like, you have a good coach, like, Tim's is a good coach. He knows his mm-hmm. stuff. You know what I mean? So, what, what gets it? What gets an organization to a point where they're ready to part ways? Similar situation to Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson was a good coach, very successful. What gets it? And it's always that management-coach strife, right? Mm-hmm. That poor relationship between the management, and the coach. And I think, do I think Hoyberg is the guy to get them over the hump? I don't know. I really don't. Um, I can't say 100%. And my general rule of thumb is if you're going to make this move, you need to be able to say 100% that the next guy coming in is going to push you to that next level. I don't think Chicago necessarily can say that just based upon the decision itself. You look at the decision in a vacuum, you can't necessarily say that, Hoiberg is an upgrade in any way, shape, or form over Fiz. If anything, it's a push. You break even. You've got a winning team that's more offensive focused, but it's still a winning team, still a top two or three seed in the East. I don't think it necessarily makes you any more of a, uh, a contender. I think the, your style of play may shift. Um, some of your – the way you manage your players may shift, but ultimately that's not necessarily going to be that next thing. I think where this makes sense for the Chicago Bulls is when you put it into context of what was going on within that organization. You know, doing some research and kind of reading some articles, reading some of the the blogs of the writers who followed the team, there was some real concrete strife going on in that organization between Thibs and what he was doing and the brass of the Chicago Bulls. And I think unfortunately it got to a point where it was getting in the way. It was getting in the way of the product on the floor. Um and it was I think it was inhibiting Thibbs decision making. Um, and that I believe Thibbs would have gotten an offensive guy. But I think he felt like he was being pushed into a corner and he was pushing back. He's an aggressive dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so I think he felt like the 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 higher ups kinda of tell him how to do his job and he's like, you know what, back off, I'll take care of it. Instead of being able to kinda of, you know you know how it is with leadership. There's certain ways where you get people to look at their weaknesses and to kind of figure out how to address them without making them feel defensive, without making them feel attacked. And I don't know if that happened in Chicago. And I think Bibbs may have gotten defensive about some things that I think in the future you're going to see he's probably going to adjust. And I think he would have adjusted in Chicago with a different relationship. I also think some of the things, some of the turmoil that was going on was affecting the players. You know, now there's a lot of information out there about a rift between Derrick Rose and Jimmy Butler. And a lot of that goes back to when you have that kind of environment, where you have the the brass going at each other, going at the head coach, it's going to breed infighting across the board. And so, you know, I think that's where maybe addition by subtraction is that you're bringing harmony at least to one side of the basketball relationship as far as the coach and the higher-ups. And hopefully that begins to breed some sort of unity within the players because if there isn't chemistry, you can't play at the highest level, and you can't. You're not gonna beat a LeBron Cavaliers team, any team led by LeBron, if you ain't all on the same page. Of what needs to happen? If you got a faction over here and a faction over there, it's not gonna work really well. Um, so those are my thoughts on Chicago. Orlando is a really good one you brought up. Orlando, I'm glad you brought that up, and we all know that Scott Skiles had on the inside of his on the inside lining of his suit, the suit jacket that he wears on game nights, there's an expiration date. (laughs) At some point, the team is going to start to tune him out. And he is, you're you're exactly right, he is that guy to kind of change the culture, get folks on the same page. But we all know he has not been the long-term answer. Now, maybe he's evolved, that's yet to be seen, but we know his track record says he's got three, maybe four years before these guys become veterans, and then they're done with that. As young guys, they're going to listen to him. They're going to respond to the yelling, the brimstone, and the fire, and the intensity, and the grinding. But after year four, towards the end of year three, guys are going to get tired of it and say, hey, we've been through this, coach. We got you. We know what it is. You're still yelling it like it's day one. Um, again, maybe he's evolved. Maybe he wants to keep this job longer than three years. <laughs> but who knows? Um, and to me, Alvin Gentry is a bit of a mystery. Um how much credit do you give him for this? Uh, the offensive efficiency in Golden State? I don't know yet. Um, he's been in other places um, and, you know, hasn't done as well. Um, he's lauded for his ability to coach offense. We'll see. Eric, what are your thoughts on some of these moves?
0: Yeah, you guys bring up some excellent points. And, uh, you know, I want to step back to the Chicago piece because I think, you know, realistically you guys hit a lot of it right on the head. Right, so I don't think anybody's going to say that 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 Thibodeau is not a good coach. Uh, I don't think that's it at all. Uh, I'm a big advocate of if if you know it takes leadership to win, and so if you go back and look at the previous champions over the past decade, right, there's some kind of strong leadership that's there from LeBron to when Jason Kidd and Dirk Nowinski won the championship to Tim Duncan, right, and Chicago has that with Joakim Noah. He's a bona fide leader. Uh, he's won at the collegiate level, and he's, he's that consistent leader. So, so getting rid of of Thibodeau, what that does is you still have your nucleus there, and bringing in a, a player's coach with an offensive mind. Um, in theory, your defensive way of doing things. I mean, you got you have a a, a former MVP and Derrick Rose. You've got a leader in Joakim Noah, one of the best passes in the game, and you got this up and coming Butler that is just playing lights-out ball. I mean, he, he highly impressed me this whole postseason. So I, I think that change to, um, you know, to get rid of Thibodeau, I think, again, that's going to help the executive um, relationships that were going on, similar to San Francisco, 49ers in football with, with Jim Harbaugh. It wasn't that uh, Harbaugh wasn't wasn't a good coach, right? It wasn't that they weren't winning. It just was not working as far as the leadership. They're bumping heads, right, because you got these strong-willed individuals. So, um, yeah, the Thibodeau piece, you know, that was simply we've got to find a way to move on. And the Bulls have a track record of that with Phil Jackson, right? The same thing happened with Phil Jackson in the past. And they were winning consistently, but they weren't getting along. And so, you know, it ultimately comes down to who has the last say-so. And in, in every example that you can think of, it's the people that own the thing, that have the last decision. And the coaches are just pieces that get replaced, So, you know, the Chicago piece, I think, is a very interesting change, an interesting job. Um, And I think that, you know, he'll have a chance, Floyd will have a chance to kind of step in and kind of take this defensive team that does struggle from time to time offensively and add some creativity to their offense so they're not so stagnant at at times. So I think that's an interesting move. Um, I, I think that the most appealing job is obviously the OKC with Billy Donovan. Uh, I think stepping up and getting that job—you got two of the top five players, you know, best players on the on the planet right now. And so, again, they're contenders, right? And 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 being without uh, Kevin Durant this year, what they've seen is Westbrook not only is a beast and can carry a team, but they're pretty good. They're pretty good even without Kevin Durant. And so now you have when Kevin Durant comes back. You've got the, the the role players that kind of step up. you got Westbrook. Obviously, this guy's a man-child, right? He already felt like he was a beast. But you have a team that's ready to go to the next level. And um, I think that OKC is going to be competing for the championship again this year. Uh, you know, again, they had a lot of injuries this year, which is one of the downfalls. But I think Donovan's going to add that players-coach mentality, make it fun, get creative, allow them to make adjustments in the second half, and OKC historically hasn't been good at it. And uh, I think that's going to be a great fit, great fit. And uh, just to cruise on down the line and go down to the, to, to, to the Pelicans. So Alvin Gentry is one of those coaches where uh, up until the, the last job that he had as assistant coach, he didn't really have a strong team, right, because a lot of times when when, when newer coaches or, or coaches that step in, and, you know, I'm going to say uh, minority coaches, they typically get a, a job that, is not one where the team is doing extremely well, right? So they gotta, they got to build this team and kind of work their way through the ranks. And Alvin's been one of those guys where he's had to work through teams that may not have had all the talent necessary to really be able to compete. Well, I think right now he's got, you know, Anthony Davis, and he's, he's a monster, right? And now offensively they're pretty good. It's just simply how do you assemble them, uh, get that team chemistry going, and, and get them to play some defense. Uh, They made the playoffs this year. So I I see that they're going to take another step forward. And I think Gentry will have a few years to kind of get Anthony Davis to that peak. And when you get a superstar that is kind of reaching that prime, I think this is a good opportunity for Gentry. So this is going to be those we will see. This is that make or break job for Gentry. So, you know, I think he's going to, I think he's going to flourish. I think he's going to do very well. Um, I don't, you know, we don't, I don't see them obviously coming out of the West because it's too tough, but to be a contender. But, you know, again, I know that's rolling into the next piece, but you've got, you know, you've got the Clippers right there. You've got the Spurs right there. You've got OKC that will be back. you got Houston. You've got Golden State. I mean, it's stacked. Memphis isn't going away anytime soon. Uh, you know, the Lakers are right there as well, old school Kobe. So, you know, the West is stacked, but um, it, it it's all depends upon how you want to engage uh, Gentry but uh, i i think that team will be much better and this is going to be that coaching stop that uh, alvin gets some notoriety i believe and, and i want to add
3: I, let, me, let me let me let me quickly build on your point about Gentry, and i, I want to get back i went back, you know kind of looking at him he's always almost always come in as an interim so he's always yep. come in kind of halfway through the movie so this yeah. is the first time well, one of the few times he's had a head coaching experience where he gets an off season to really think about how he wants to build his program. And, and I I saw that he also hired a defensive court, you know, his defensive head coach, the defensive coordinator. And so he knows he's an offensive mind, but he's had enough time to spend around people to see, you know, I got the offense piece. I need somebody who's going to really lock down my defense and and that new model around kind of having that, you know, that Phil built off a little bit and some other great coaches, uh, Chuck Daly was really good with that in terms of the the coaches he had around him. So I will say this is almost one of his first times of having what you said, a team that has a lot of foundation, and he's coming in as the head coach. He's not really coming off as an interim coach then, getting a full job and coming back, but he's coming in as somebody looking at him to help move the organization forward. So that is the change with this one.
2: Excellent point. I think the, the thing that I wanted to touch on, um, Eric, you raised the kind of the point as well. D Willis, you followed up on it. It's just coaching a superstar um, makes a huge difference. And mm-hmm. if you have an opportunity to coach a superstar and you still don't do well, then you may have just locked yourself out of, of being able to get another job because having that superstar, hey. I think, is, is a great opportunity. It's an amazing opportunity to continue to, to, to have that, that chess piece, right? You know, having LeBron means something. Having a Steph Curry means something. A James Harden means something. I think Atlanta's on the outside looking in because they didn't have that. They didn't have that one guy who could get a bucket when the team has scouted all your sets, when the team knows what you're going to run, when they know who you want to get the ball and they're trying to stop them from getting it, that one guy who can score in ways you can't coach to stop, right? And and that's that's what you need. You need a guy who can get you buckets. Where the other coach can't co- can't coach his team up on how to stop that things that you can't anticipate, and that's a, that's what Anthony Davis is becoming. Um, is he there yet? One hundred percent? Not quite, but he's well on his way. Um, I want to shift gears, and Eric, you alluded to. We're going to get into a conversation about some of these individual teams that may rise up and be contenders next season as we start to look at the, before we get into what's going on with the finals. We'll look at some of the teams that have been knocked out of the playoffs or weren't in the playoffs, but are still very strong teams. Other than Thunder, the Indiana Pacers. We'll talk about those squads. What we're going to do, we're going to have a quick conversation about something that I'm baffled by. All right. Something that has just puzzled me, something that I can't really put my finger on and really articulate what the issue is around this particular phenomenon. Again, you're listening to The Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio. All guests and hosts are brought to you via the Prejudice County Gateway. Prejudice County is the official account of the Renegades. Make sure you hit them up. Let them know that the Renegades sent you. Now, we've all, you know, watched press. we probably all watched bits and pieces of hundreds of press conferences. Um and never really paid attention to a player's kid, kids being in a press conference. Um, recently, a young lady has just caught the attention of the world uh, in the most cutest and adorable way possible, and that's Miss Riley Curry, right? So Riley Curry, Steph Curry, after the post game in the, uh, in the <clears throat> series, brings his daughter out. Riley Curry's out there with her dad, and she's fake yawning, She's fake coughing, throws in a fake sneeze, climbs under the table, runs off the stage, is playing high and go it pops, is asking to be – it's just the cutest thing ever. And yet – and I don't know if it's just the Twitter world, the social media world that we live in, yet people had a problem with that. And I don't know where you guys stand on the issue – but I just wanted to have a conversation about it with some real people, not some talking heads on the radio, but just some real regular people about how you felt about Riley Curry. And then she came back and did it again, right? She had this, she had round two, right? <laughs> she came back and she did it again. And this time she was even more comfortable, all right? There was a moment in the second one where, as a parent, we've all had this particular moment. Our child is young and they're pushing boundaries, and they're trying to see what is mommy and daddy going to pay attention to. So Riley jumps off of Steph's lap, grabs a piece of paper. Now, usually when you're at home and you do this, if there's a piece of paper laying around near mommy or daddy's office, it's usually something pretty important. So when your kid picks it up and starts to rip it, they're looking back at you to see if you're going to (laughs) snap.
1: And Riley did
2: exactly that. She picked up a piece of paper and just ripped it up. And when daddy didn't say anything, it was on. (laughs) It was on and popping from that point on. She starts running around, pulling off a curtain. That's when your kid is like, you're not paying me any attention. So now I'm going to turn it up a
1: little bit.
2: (laughs) We've all been there. We've all been there. We've all had that exact moment. All right? So, Eric, I'll start with you. Just give me your impression. One, your impression of the situation, and then your reaction to some of the negative backlash that was thrown out towards players having their families. And what do you, what do you think that's about?
0: Yeah. So, you know, um, I think that a lot of it is, it's is social media world that we live in. And if it's, if there is a possibility of getting a story, we will try to get a story out there. I think that's just the world that we've come to live in. I think that, you know, as being, you know, fathers or in this particular community that we live in, um, you know, there's certain things that you can and can't do that come along with whatever position that you hold, right? And, you know, I think um, with this particular situation, kids come to the stage all the time. I've seen, you know, I went back, so I'm like, is this is this a, a new thing? I mean, Tim Duncan had his two girls out there. Jason Kidd had his son out there, and his son was scratching his head during the press conference. Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, they all do it. Uh, so I don't have a problem. The game is over. And now we're just answering some questions. And I think from a media's perspective, you know, they were disturbed because they couldn't properly a- ask their questions because the attention was centered around this cute baby girl. And, um, you know, it's just the thing. It, it, it's The game is over uh this is the press conference. So I don't have a problem with it at all. I think that uh players have done it historically and you know I don't I don't see anything wrong with it. I think the negative backlash that came along with it, uh again, you know, when you when you look at Seth, you know, uh Curry's face as uh you know he kinda lost you know, tracking the daughter when she was underneath the table. I mean, he was trying to fill around for her. He's like, where'd where she go? Wait a minute.
1: <laughs> but, uh,
0: you know, so, I mean, we've all had that. You might be in a mall or something. You're looking around. You're like, oh, hey, hey, where'd this cat go? And, you know, this cat didn't dip off for a second. And, uh, you know, I think it's just, again, they're just looking for something. The media's looking for something to get a story. And, um, you know, I, I just. Uh, I don't see anything wrong with it. I, I truly don't. I think if it was during the game or during halftime, that's a different story. But the game is over. This was a press conference. Uh, I personally have no issue with it at all.
2: Yeah, and, and, and that, that's kind of my, my, my thing about it. You know, I, I think it's post-game. Players are trying to catch up with their families, you know, before they leave the stadium, before they leave the arena. Um, I don't have a problem with it. Um Here's a, here's something that I, here's a dynamic that I want to explore a little bit because I think we can explore this in ways that other other radio people can. not um, A lot of the players are African American players, right? A lot of these, and, and there's a stigma. There's there's this. Uh, I think the media has a weird relationship with players being fathers in public. What do you think about that? Is the, is that the thing? That is bugging people is that these players are, are out here and they have their children. And it's kind of going against the narrative that sometimes I think the media wants to portray of players. You know, we have Adrian Peterson coming back to play, um, you know, reporting yeah, – just reporting to OTAs, which is – I don't know why that's a story. You, you hit it on the head. There needs to be a story because it needs to be a story, Eric. And I think that was, that was a part of your main point was that sometimes it's just, you know, filler. And there has to be fillers that it's that song on the album. That's not really one of the, one of the singles and it's not the street joint. It's not the posse cut, but it's just there. And I, maybe, yeah. this, maybe this story is that, you know what I mean? Maybe it's that, but maybe it's a little bit more. Maybe there's some sort of societal vein running through under uh, undercurrent running through this particular story. D. Wills, what do you think about that angle? Is, is there an issue yeah. that, that the mainstream media has with African American fatherhood? Well,
3: and, I, and, that, and I, there may be an undercurrent around that because, you know, part of what I appreciated when this phenomenon started happening is it redefined particularly the African-American athlete and his role in, in as a father. And to me that was one of the things I really appreciated about the phenomena because you begin to see some of these individuals in their wholeness. So that to me, that's an important thing, and this this transfer of of social capital, right? Part of it is you got this young lady who is African American who has a freedom of, of 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 exploring that is usually described in other contexts as cute, and she's got an opportunity. She just up there. So the funny thing about the second one, the second presser. It it almost looked like, so I was trying to figure out whether or not Steph's wife made him do it again, because it almost looked like he was not sure. Because you could tell when your child's clown suit going to come on, there's an energy where you can (laughs) sense that they're about to put the clown makeup on. And normally if you were in other settings, your response would be different. And you could almost tell Steph had to catch himself in his response. If you look at his face, he was trying. You right. He was trying, and he was trying to also. guard his response—he got an image, right? And I don't know how he interacts in these in these uh, private spaces around this, but he was re- clearly trying to control how he was doing. And she was in full clowning mode. And so that's a part about it. But that—that <laughs> that freedom, that freedom that they express in there is important. And the other thing that it is that you have to talk about is. It's the players, once again, taking control of the situation. And I think part of the struggle that the media folks have is they have this problem with this power dynamic that players have. Because in this point, Steph is defining the terms of this situation in a way where presses are the one time where the media has an opportunity to um, freely redirect the control piece. And in some ways they're in control because like anything you say, if you're talking to sales, the person asking the question is always in control, right? But this is the one, I think, problem with this is that D Wade and some of these folks, when they're doing this, or Brown or some of these folks, they are they are controlling the environment in ways, right? And, and in a way that makes media uncomfortable because that's one more way in which Players are seizing control of the moment, and I think that is as much of the tension in this as anything. And it doesn't leave people on Twitter and social media with much to talk about, other than this kid is controlling the show. And so I think that's another dynamic at play is that this is one more way in which um, these athletes are controlling the space.
2: And, and a point, a point you, you, you kind of started to go into that I want to expound on is the is also the freedom in which. I think Steph and I had a different perception of, of Steph's reaction the second time, because there was yeah. when when they first came, when he first came out with Riley, there was a reporter who said, "Are we going to do this again?" And Steph just did. He kind of looked at her and ignored it. And I think Steph was almost thumbing his nose at folks who had a problem with him bringing his daughter out there. I think he was like, "I'm going to bring my daughter out here and let her do her thing. And right. if you don't like it, you don't like it. You came to ask me questions. To ask me questions." I'm here asking questions. <laughs> what she got yeah. to do with it. You know what I mean? And so I think it was almost in protest for him to bring her back out and be like, Listen, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. This is not That's in right. my contract, I'm not obligated to do this. So that was one element. And I think also yeah. there's the element of like and you know, this 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 perception exists of the uncontrolled little black child, right? Yeah. And in this mm-hmm. particular situation having a black girl, right? And so I think a piece of it may also be how do we look at black girls and and black women in general, right? Because women are supposed to be quiet and respectable. And Riley was doing her thing.
3: She was authoritative and in control. It's like, oh, you're going to
2: be president. Yeah. Riley was Riley. Riley. She was a two-year-old, and she was having a good time. Um, And maybe that's a piece of it. The piece about control I don't think that happens in the NFL, you know. I think that's another piece that's very unique to the NBA, and we all know how that the NBA is a, is a very much a microcosm for oftentimes and how they handle some of these situations for societal control of the image of the black male. Right? It's very different than it's very different in the NBA because guys are more visible. There's more of a presence, and that sometimes bothers the mainstream media in ways that. Football players, baseball players who happen to be African American doesn't quite because you know, with baseball is a very regional sport, the franchises are more important. In in football, you can't see a guy's faces, so you don't really you don't really the names the names mean something but the faces and the image of the players doesn't really resonate in the same way where basketball is very much a personal style, it's very much a flair. Each player has their own type of play, their own type of game and and there's more of that individuality within basketball than it is in other sports. And I think the media has had, historically had issues with that. So this, there's some very interesting dynamics that play with that whole situation. And, you know, part of it I chalk up when you talk about people like Skip Bayless and Colin Cowherd who are fairly outspoken about not having kids at pressers. Part of it is those guys being those guys, right? That's their brand. Right, their brand is the iconoclast. They have to be, you know, the they have to go counter to what the mainstream is, so that they can get all those people who are on the other side to call into their show to listen to their show. Um, and that's kind of how they operate. That's kind of how they generate um, and, and form their brand as a media entity. Um, so I get that, you know. But it's always, but those are same
3: guys. Yeah, but those also are same guys that would. Not have a problem if it was Peyton Manning or Brady, you know. They'd be saying, you know, they they find a way to make that a positive moment. So right. th- that that's the that's the part that you I, I think you're hitting on it right away. That it, it's it's this and I'm and, and and Colin's been the advocate for a number of things. I'm not gonna hit him hard on that uh, or Skip. I think that, but on this one, they're wrong. You know, it's it's like you know this isn't affecting. A, a lot of what you do, and part of it is it's, it shows that some of y'all media folks are taking yourselves too seriously.
1: You, you know, y'all yes. think
3: y'all got y'all that important uh, that y'all can't find a way to creatively work around this. Use your creativity. You know, creatively work around this. And so I think that's part of ask her a question. You know, it, you know it's one of those things where you know they they are really uh, showing their rigidity in this space and their lack of awareness of the possibilities and inability. They have plenty of private moments with a guy like Steph, even beyond the podium. You know, they got him at his locker. You know, there's a lot of times where the NBA is making you accessible to these players. It's not just at the presser. It's at the locker. So there's a lot of ways in which you can get access to this, to this young man that you can't, that, that part of what's great about this moment are those memorable moments. This is the one thing that the, the NBA doesn't have that college basketball does have is those memorable, those moments. It's not just about the shots, but this is something you look back is if they win a the championship is that ride of her being part of that. So it's like, you know, don't take yourselves too seriously.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, another thing I want to touch on that's kind of an overarching or undercurrent with this whole playoff is the hack a guy strategy, right? <laughs> and I've heard Ben Gundy, <laughs> And different people go on and on and on about how they need to get rid of this. And this is maybe where – and I'm surprised Van Gundy has this perspective because he tends to ride with an old-school way of thinking. And to me, old-school on this is, nah, make your free throws, dog. (laughs)
1: Like,
2: how is it a penalty that somebody's fouling? They're giving you free (laughs) shots. How is that a penalty? It's only a penalty because you can't make them. And if you want to make people stop doing it, make the free throws. Free throws are not something, as a coach, I want to give up, unless I know you can't make them. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So what are your thoughts? Eric, I want to start with you. What are your thoughts on the hacker guy strategy? Do you like it? Do you dislike it? Where where are you at? Weigh in?
0: You know, so when I originally heard about some of this stuff, or when I originally started watching, uh, you know, I remember what they used to do at the Rodman, you know, and, uh, you know, it was kind of a running joke. Rodman would knock some down. Sometimes he wouldn't, he'd crack a smile when he did, then it moved into the, the hack of Shaq and things like that. And I thought that was okay, right, because there were certain times where you want a guy to go to the line, you know, the game's coming down, it's, it's getting more, you know, toward the, the fourth quarter, and, you you know, it's time to put Shaq on the line because he's probably going to make one of the two. But according to Shaq, he's going to make every one that count. That's, that's that's a quote from Shaquille O'Neal. But what I've seen with the Houston Rockets uh, matchup I think was, uh I think that is pushing the limits. Um that that made the game the few games I watched of that particular series in the beginning it made it extremely slow and that changed the whole rhythm of the game. Um you know, DeAndre Jordan was being fouled as soon as they get, get a rebound, right? Just foul him and bring it on down. That made the games longer, it made it extremely slow. And I think that you know, I think the one thing that we have to keep in mind whether that's old school or not is that we have to make sure that the audience that watches the game can be entertained. And to watch a very slow game, um, it lacks entertainment. And and it turns the fair weather fans off. And you turn fair weather fans off, that means you're going to have some sponsors that may not be keyed in on those certain games. Um, I think that's the reason why they try to speed up the game, how they're reducing the shot clock in in the collegiate league and you know, they made it offensive friendly and uh in football, right? It's it's trying to get things that keep uh the, the, the viewer, the fair weather fans engaged. And so, you know, fundamentally I think it's okay, but, you know, it's kinda like the flop. The first couple of times you see Vladdy Divok flop, you're like, Oh man, he must have got here really hard. And then you begin to see it too often, you're like, okay, I don't think he's really getting hit that hard. And then it started to make sense. Now you see everybody flopping, so they had to implement a rule against flopping. And I think this hack-a-shack or uh, hack-a-player, especially in this Houston and and Clippers series, man, that was was terrible to me. That was terrible. And I I would like to see, you know, if it's going to be that. It's got to be – I would like to see something along with it. Whether it's uh, it has to be in the fourth quarter or something like that, I just thought that that was a little asinine. That's my personal take on it.
2: Interesting, interesting, and see, and again, I, I fall on the other side. I really do because I think, you know, we don't make rules to hide the deficiencies of other players. It's a deficiency in that player's skill set. Period. You know what I mean? Like that's what it is. It's it's a coach taking advantage of if Kyle Corver can't guard people. And the coach is going at him, you don't make a rule to protect Kyle Korver because he can't defend. And if you can't shoot free throws, why should I make a rule? Because the coach is taking advantage of the fact that you can't shoot free throws. You know what I mean? Like we don't do that for any other defi- skill deficiency that a player may have. If a player can't shoot jump shots, you don't make a rule that says a player has to, if he has the ball, you know, he's got to be guarded by, you know, within a certain amount. If the team want to give him room, they can give him room. You know, Andrew Bogut catches the ball at the three-point line. That's not a guy within 10 feet of him. You know, Mm -hmm. why? Because he can't make – that's a deficiency of his game. He's not going to hit that shot. I don't have to guard him out there. So I hear what you're saying, and to an extent I agree with you. I I, I do think – because the NBA is a business, and they have a business to run, and it is a form of entertainment. And so there is that piece of it. And that's the piece that I think Adam Silver is going to – and the rules committee is going to have to wrestle with is whether or not how to – because I think I think if you change that rule, I think it does to me. It impacts the integrity of the game because it's a, it's it's a, it's supposed to be a reward, right? A free throw is a reward. You're rewarded a free throw. If you read any rule book, it says a guy, is, you know, playing foul, <laughs> they're rewarded a free throw, they're, or they're awarded a free throw. You know what I mean? It's so it's something. It's supposed to be something good, but because these players are so deficient, it's now a bad thing. So that's it's like you know somebody's getting D's and you, you decide okay well we're gonna we're gonna change the curve so that the guy that's getting a D can now get a, a B you know and I think the Houston series was it was a bit much in the Houston series because that's but that's also because you have two of the worst free throw shooters in the league on both teams you got DeAndre Jordan and Dwight Howard going opposite each other and so it wasn't yeah. pretty um, it wasn't pretty so I I I, I, I get that. And I, I understand where you're coming from 100%. And I understand if the league does decide to change it, I can understand the rationale behind changing it, even though I may not agree with it. I understand the rationale that you expressed, Eric. D. Wills, what's your thoughts on it, the hacker guy strategy? Um, it was, was, they, they
3: said there were 447 NBA players that started on the roster at the beginning of this season. And you basically change the rule for maybe two or three players that actually matter. And if they actually end up in the same series, so for me, you don't make a change for that because you're really talking about a limit. There aren't too many Jordans. There are not too many um, uh, Howards that that really that they that those players matter enough that they're in it. So it's not a lot of them who are actually in that matter corey a category of being hacked. So that's you know you just happen to have two playing in the same series. And so I think my rule is always to not let that, don't overthink the room on that. Having said that, but there's two things. There's one thing for, it's also hard for me to reward individuals who I feel haven't tried everything they need to try. So, like, even Howard, one of the suggestions was work with, like, what Rick Berry learned to shoot it underhand. Even will try that. And, oh, it's not cool points, blah, blah, blah. Well, if you don't want to try whatever you need to try to help you get better, then why am I, again, changing the rules to help you? You at least extend yourself to everything you do. And this is what you do for your job. And the thing about it is, think about like uh, Jordan. If you can get yourself, and think about somebody like Karl Malone who started out in, in, as a poor free throw shooter and became better. You, If you got up to about 70% or 68%, how much more money would you make? Because you're less likely 70 is that kind of number. You're less likely to foul a cat at 70%. percent you just not. It don't pay off the way you need to pay it off. But if you were to come up with a strategy, what I would do is if you really want to control it, the kind of thing they're doing in the last two minutes, you could make it a fourth quarter thing. But that puts more pressure on referees to judge whether or not that's what you do. But if you really wanted to kind of clean up the end of the game play, then make it a fourth quarter thing, you know, and that cleans it up in a different way that forces people to play a little bit more natural. And you can, you can, you can tell if you find out it's more of a flagrant, you can put it in the flagrant category. If it's a flagrant category, then you have something that is to a technical ball wow. out, that kind of thing. I think that might be the only solution you could do almost in a natural thing, similar to – NFL trying to de- decide on pass interference. It's the only way you could probably do it, a defensive holding. I mean, I think those are the ways in which you could monitor in a way that would reduce it towards the end of games. That's it. But other than that, learn to shoot your free throws. And it's only for a few people. We ain't talking about a, a lot of folks.
2: Yeah. Like I said, for me, it's it's more of the integrity of, <clears throat> of the concept of being a basketball player. LeBron has a deficiency in his game. LeBron goes in the gym and he works on that deficiency.
3: That's
1: now, right. this
2: is also this is also for me. It's hard because Dwight Howard is involved, and I don't really like Dwight that much as a basketball player. All right, <laughs> so I can own that. <laughs> right. Go I to
3: realsports.com really and, and listen to the rant on Dwight Howard. <laughs> if, you, if you haven't had a chance, to get yeah. it out. Please go to yeah, it's, realsports.com. dot com. It is documented. The rant. Look for the rant.
2: <laughs> it, it's well documented. And I under I completely understand Eric's point. Like I said, if that's the rationale the NBA goes with, I do not, I do not have any issues with that rationale because at the end of the day, it is the business. The eyes on it make it profitable, uh, which makes it more popular. What makes it makes it more enjoyable for all involved. I'm down on that. I'm down on because it, it is hard to watch when that happens. The other side of me, the former basketball player, the current basketball coach, says. Guys need to get in the gym. And if a team is using it, they have some pride in your game and go work on your free throws. All right? Make it so that teams can't do that. Tim Duncan was a poor free throw shooter. He, You know, weird career arc for him. Started out as a decent free throw shooter, became a poor free throw shooter, became a good free throw shooter again. You know, Tyson Chandler started out as a very, very bad free throw shooter. He's shooting 72, 73% from the line. Doesn't happen to him anymore. You know what I mean? Teams wouldn't, wouldn't file him. So I think you raised some points there. And you are costing yourself money. I think that's a very good point that he was as well. Um, so, you know, I think there are a lot of ways to look at it. Again, Adam Silver and the Rules Committee have some work to do around figuring out how to find that balance between providing a very engaging, entertaining, um, visually appealing product for the casual fan. Because the hardcore fans, the real sports guy types, we're going to watch because it's sports, because it's a game, because Fun. guys are competing. We're going to watch no matter what. But it's the soccer yeah. moms, you know, the, the teenagers who would, you know, just got done with homework, turn on TV. Oh, it's a basketball game. Oh, it's the it's dude with the beard. Oh, it's a little light skin dude. Let me watch. You know what I mean? That kind, of, Those kind of folks. Uh, You got to keep them engaged And you know You got to keep them From flipping Flipping uh, to a scandal Or you know Something along Real Housewives of Atlanta What what have you You got to keep them Keep them locked in And keep them engaged And watching guys Shoot free throws And miss them Is not really interesting (laughs) I'm with you on that Eric (laughs) It's not really interesting But I know why They're missing it And that's what drives me mad Is you're a professional Basketball player who's being paid Millions of dollars To perfect their craft Go ahead and learn how to shoot a free throw, bro. All right? It's a hole in your game. It's a blatant hole in your game. That's why the other coach is fouling you. They fouling James Harden. They ain't <laughs> fouling Chris Paul. They ain't even fouling Blake Griffin. All right? They fouling you, DeAndre Jordan. They fouling you, Dwight Howard, because you can't shoot free throws. And that's a problem. You know what,
0: Game Changer? I got, I got two comments on that when you when you, when you, Go have ahead. two quick comments.
2: You got it. It's just so, the floor is yours. This one On
0: that rant piece that you have about uh, about Dwight Howard. So um so Chris Weber is one that's very passionate about this, the, the free throw piece. And I was watching T N T when he was doing the commentation for I believe it was a Houston and uh I believe that was a Houston and the Clippers series, but so Chris Weber had a similar story where he started out a bad free throw shooter and when he when he got to the to the NBA he said he struggled that first year. He couldn't knock him down consistently. And he said what he did is he went into the gym that whole summer and worked on it. That was the one part of his game that he worked on over and over and over. And his percentage increased each year. And he had that same rent as you were saying. It's a deficiency in your game. If you know that you have that deficiency, why wouldn't you want to get better? Whatever your craft is, I don't care if it's sales, if it's basketball, if it's NFL, whatever you do, get better at your craft because you know that there's a loophole or there's a leak that you have, you want to find a way to plug it. So so that's one piece, man. I definitely understand from a hardcore sports fan, you know, if you got a leak in your game, you gotta find a way to plug that hole. If I got a leak in the way I run my business, I've got to find a way to um to, to uh to fix that patch. The other piece is um you know whenever my wife comes to me and says, Hey, did you hear about this in sports I know that it went too far. I know that the social media has gotten too far, and I'll say my wife approached me before I heard about it. She approached me about Steph Curry's daughter and about uh, the nonstop hacker player piece. That's what I know in my head. Once my wife hears it, that means they made it to mainstream America, and for some reason we're not talking about a game, not a game. We're talking about off things that that are different, right? And that's when I know we got to find a way to get back to the game. And I think that takes away from the actual product on the field when, or the product on the court when we're focused on on uh, the casual fans, like my wife is, is saying, hey, what's going on with all these fouls? That shouldn't be part of the conversation, right? That shouldn't be what she comes to me and says because she's not really watching the games. She's watching Good Morning America, and for some reason, <laughs> you know, that's the topic of conversation. So that's my two little right. pieces on that. Listen. Right. You don't talking is about going in. Not a game. Not a game. Not a game. We are talking about practice. <laughs> yeah,
2: like I said, when the soccer moms and the housewives, when when Hoda Kotb is talking about Riley Curry and DeAndre Jordan's free throw shooting, <laughs> those may not be the stories that you want mainstream America latching onto when you're having your big event of the year as a sports league, yeah. which is the playoffs. Yeah. I hear you on that. I and like I said, if the league were to make a rule or to make some adjustments to the whole framework of how this transpires and how this is responded to by referees, I wouldn't I would understand. I wouldn't agree with it, but I'd understand it. You know, and that's uh, you know, I tell the young people I work with, you know, when they have conflicts, it's not always about agreeing. You need to be able to understand what the other person stands and and why they're thinking what they're thinking. You don't have to agree with it, but you do need to have an understanding. So I, I, could, yeah. I could I could I could I could live with that because I understand the rationale behind it and the rationale makes sense to me. Um, I just don't agree with it. But that's okay. I'm on watch anyway, so they don't really need to worry about me. (laughs) (laughs) You know? (laughs) So you're listening to The Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSC, Renegade Radio. We are in the midst of an amazing conversation about all things NBA playoff related. We've talked about coaching hires. We've talked about Riley Curry. We've talked about the hacker player strategy that has been implemented by several coaches and teams throughout the league um, this playoff season. Um, right now, we're going to get into the Resistance Digital Dog of the Week. Resistance Digital is the official sponsor of the Real Sports Guys. Hit up our man LR at Resistance Digital at resistancedigital.com. dot com to get all your digital and home electronic needs met. LR would give you great, great, great product at a very, very good price. I mean when you talk about this is this is Marlo Stanfield level, you know, product to, to price ratio. He's he's cornering the market right now. Um and we're talking about we're talking about he's 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 innovating the game with his home delivery aspect of his business. So he'll come to your your workplace or your home and install everything the way it needs to be installed. He'll take care of you. His customer service is impeccable. So hit up our man LR at Resistance Digital Solutions, Resistance dot com today for all your electronic needs. Fellas, so it's time for the dog of the week. Let me cue up the sound. My iPad is scrolling kinda slow. I'm upgraded. I'm not on a CPU anymore. I'm working off the iPad. You know, D <laughs> and and, and L R you know, have really encouraged me to step on my tech game. But you know how it goes, fellas. Resistance Digital Dog of the Week. This is where the real sports guy, we give props. We give some shine to somebody who has that dog meter way up. We talk about the dog meter on the show. This is where that intensity, that tenacity, that engagement, whatever it is you're doing is at an extremely high level. Dog of the Week. Right, we're going to pass it to our special guest, Eric Hamilton, to kick us off.
0: We need more dogs. My Dog of the Week. My Dog of the Week. <clears throat> Is my boy Ghost that's coming back on, on Power? Power is coming back for the next season on this upcoming week. I uh, can't wait for it. I know Power is gonna bring the heat, and my boy Ghost is gonna do something amazing. So that's my dog of the week, reproof Hey, and it.
2: Power. For those of you out there that aren't up on Power, again, it comes on Stars Saturday nights. Um, it's actually, I found it's great. Like thirty something. I don't want to go to the bars. It's good TV on a Saturday night. You and your lady can sit down. You know, have some wine. You know, get something with champagne and a little glass and sit down and watch Power Man. It's, it's a you can. It's a nice, nice little event TV on Saturday night, which is an underused evening because everybody assumes that you're out in the streets, in the club, or at an event, or doing something. And maybe sometimes you're just at home. You, you know, for for us, for the real sports guys who. Are uh, grinding all week sometimes it is nice to just to be able to chill on a Saturday night with your significant other have a few adult beverages and catch a great show and power is that it's gritty it's sophisticated it's 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 like it's it's basically you know what it is in a nutshell, and I think this is why it resonates with our generation in particular the the gen Xers um it's basically nineties a, a mid nineties late nineties hip hop album come to life <laughs> right that's right that's right yeah it's like yeah. A biggie, it's like a biggie album played out acted out on t v
1: <laughs>
2: and that's what that's makes it so it. fresh that's what that's makes it. it so fresh it is it is nineties era hip hop where you have the the glitch, but then you also have the ruggedness. You got the shiny suit kind of uh, puffy element to it, but then you got the fifty bring it back to the streets type element to it. it it's, it's all in one show, and it, and it resonates with us. So I'm glad. You, I'm glad you're glad that Power's coming back because I'm glad that Power's coming back, and I know D. will is glad that Power's coming back. I'm on P.A.D. is yeah. up on Power, but we gotta get P.A.D. up on Power too. Great show! It, it, shout out to Great fifty! Show. Shout out to fifty!
3: Shout out to fifty! Doing his thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah hmm
2: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Feeling that boy. Filling that boy for the for the hip hop head out there. D. Wills, your dog of the week. You know how it goes.
3: We need more dogs. I will never get a chance to make this person or this, this 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 sport one of my dog of the week. So I'm gonna take the time to do it now. It's Seth Blatter, former president <laughs> of People. Is my is my dog of the week. This cat is the kingpin Teflon Don Everybody else falling around him. He's saying he's the president of all. He is, this cat's the kind of money he's making. And none can be linked to him. He is an international person, version of ghost and power. This cat is power walking real life. I mean, he got gangster tendencies up in here. You know, daring folks to be all in on him. It's giving soccer a whole new vibe for me. I'm excited. I wanna know who's gonna be the next president. Is it gonna be the press? Is it gonna who's gonna be in it? I watch this thing like a soap opera. Sep gladder.
1: Right.
2: Hey, and daughter. let me just say let me just say, dude, was I like your pick. All right? We got two hits. We got two home runs on the Dog of the Week this week. We got Power coming back, and we got set Blatter. And I just want to say, anytime you beat out a, it's 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 like the 90s all over again. I'm telling you, man. It's like 97. Like, anytime you beat out a dude named Prince Ali, you either won a rap battle
1: <laughs> or you just get the president of the people. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You feel me? Either you just won like a mid-90s rap battle or you just became the president of FIFA, the president of everybody. And that line in itself right there shuts it all down. <laughs> 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 like, honestly, that's like a mixtape title right there. And
3: I, and I can see him standing up there with his arms out to the side, raised up, like, can you dig it?
1: I mean, exactly. you see I exactly. just, just
3: do that. And then your guy Warner, who is a brother, uh, I believe, uh, he gonna quote Onion. I was about to make him my dog of the week. Now he, he trying to get back at the at the United States and and, and what he, they think they're doing by quoting Onion for you guys in Madison. It's a satirical newspaper uh, uh, that uh, that uh, offers these crazy ass headlines, and he was offering that as evidence uh for,
0: for why
3: he uh why why he thought the US was doing it. So it's just they are a comedy of errors, yet this cat everybody's crumbling and he just get to walk off. He wins, drops the mic and he gonna walk off. He just wants mm. to prove he can win five times. So he kinda he, he pulled a Mayweather. He pulled a money. I won and then I'm gonna walk off. He just he walking off. He like I just want to prove I can win five times. Now I'm gonna walk off and I bet you the deal he did to resign is probably how much money he would have made if he would have stayed for the entire contract? Nobody's gonna talk about mm-hmm. that because you know he got paid mm-hmm. to resign. Mm-hmm. It's gangster, man. Yeah, I can't do yeah. it. I can't get
2: mad at him. Yeah, it's one of those That's situations black. where somebody where somebody takes something and you know you asking for it back, you asking for it back, you asking for it back, and they don't want to give it back to you. And then they finally give it back to you like I ain't really want anybody. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. That's what he did to him. That's what he did <laughs> to him. I ain't really want anyway. Stop I just wanna see you go give to it to me. Do it.
3: Now I'm walking off. You know? yes. give, me yes. my, give me my money on the way out to go. In fact, that's the case. That yes.
2: I'm getting me a T shirt made tomorrow that says I'm the president of everybody <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's gonna be what I'm gonna have to add that to my T shirt collection. I have to get a T shirt that says I'm the president of everybody <laughs> Oh, man. So, my dog of the week. Let me drop cue up the sound. We need more dogs. My dog of the week. All right, I don't even know this person's name. I don't know if it's a he or a she, but my dog of the week. And, and I, I will say before I say anything, I'm, I'm, I'm giving props for people for being who they are, for being what they want to be and, and being the type of person they want to be. Caitlyn Jenner, formerly... Bruce Jenner, hats off for making that change and becoming whoever you thought you needed to be. I, I got nothing but love for you for doing that. But but my dog of the week goes to the graphic designer who worked on the cover of that magazine. <laughs> that's Vanity Fair. Because it is the magic of graphic design. Because that's Bruce Jenner. <laughs> Caitlyn Jenner now, who used to be a guy, and you would not be able to tell. And I know in person, it's not it's not working like that. (laughs) The packages is not coming together like that. (laughs) That that young people, all my young listeners out there, that is why you don't believe what you see on TV or magazines because the magic of media is real and they can make anything look appealing and enticing. So don't tie your worth up into those things that you see. So shout out to the graphic designer. You did an amazing job. You, sir, or ma'am, are the real MVP. (laughs) 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 Because they made it all work. And in real life, it don't work. (laughs) All right, so we're going to keep it rolling. This is the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio. Fellas, we got 20 minutes left, and we are going to dig in to the NBA Finals. This is a great Finals matchup. I think this is a matchup that at the beginning of the season and the middle of the season and towards the end of the season before the playoffs started, everyone anticipated. The West was a bit of a roll of the dice. You didn't quite know how the West was going to go. You had some teams in there with the Clippers and the Spurs, the Grizzlies and the Rockets who all could have come out, but I think in the end the favorite was still the Golden State Warriors and they were able to emerge. I know a lot of people took a wait and see approach on Golden State um because of their style. Um you know, NBA fans, hardcore NBA fans are not very friendly and not quick to jump behind a jump shooting team, a team that seems to thrive on shooting from the perimeter. That's not the, that doesn't fit into the traditional paradigm of what a successful playoff team does. One thing that Golden State does that other previous incarnations of the fast-paced, up-tempo, jump-shooting type of team, uh, is they play defense. They defend. They defend intensely. They defend like it's nobody's business. So they've made it out of the West, uh, kind of proving the naysayers wrong to an extent. They have another step to go, which is to win it all. Um, And then on the other side, you have the Cleveland Cavaliers, who minus lost Kevin Love um, in the first round. Kyrie was iffy. In, in the later part of round two and most of the uh, most of the conference finals, LeBron, LeBron, LeBron. Um, again, you know, I was at one place with LeBron a couple of years ago. I'm at a whole different place now with LeBron. And being able to appreciate what he can do for a team, being able to appreciate the way he approaches the game and the way he makes guys around him better. I think he does it in a way with leadership, with making guys believe that they can do more, and then he does it with his skill set, facilitating putting guys in position to be able to do what they do well. Um, so you have these two forces colliding. Um, before we get into kind of the meat and potatoes of the series, I want to start you guys off, and I want to throw some things at you guys. I mean, talking about the, the arc and the path that both of these teams have taken to get here. Um, first, I'm going to start with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And D. Wills, you know, me, D. Wills, and Ph.D., we we have these legendary text conversations where we, we just kind of go back and forth on some really, really deep basketball sports conversations. And one of the conversations centered around this incarnation of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, a lot of people talk about the 07 Cavs that made it to the finals where Mo Williams was the um, second best player on that team. You know, Boobie Gibson was a relevant basketball player back then, right? And he hasn't been relevant since. He stopped playing with LeBron. Um that speaks to LeBron's ability to make decent players good, de- decent players average, average players good, good players greater. Um, that's what LeBron does. That's what he is. He raises everybody's ratings. If you're talking video game talk, you put LeBron on the team, everybody's ratings go up, right? The minute he's on yeah. your roster. So, the thing that I want I, that is is has been affirmed for me. Right? This is something that I've believed. The entire since the Kevin Love Wiggins trade, I want to revisit this. The Love Wiggins trade was designed to get the Cavaliers to this particular spot, NBA Finals. And my complaint all along, or my 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 point of emphasis all along, was you have LeBron James in a weak Eastern Conference. That's really all you needed to do to give yourself a shot. Kevin Love was more so a bit of icing on the cake, a bit superfluous. Um, And I think they may have made a misstep by giving up everything they gave up to get Kevin Love and Andrew Wiggins. And the reason I say that is because part of the reason I think this team has evolved and put itself in position to be a championship caliber team without Kyrie and without Kevin Love is because the guys that they are playing defend. And that's the one thing that I think – When you talk about the paradigm of a great playoff team, that's the one thing that I think holds consistent is that you have to defend. And I think they would have been able to do that with the pieces that they gave up. Um, I think any pieces that they add, that has to be important because you got LeBron and you got Kyrie. You don't need any more scoring. Any additional scoring is superfluous. You just need guys who can fill a role, make open shots, and play defense and rebound. That's all you need anybody other than LeBron and Kyrie to do. If they can hit open shots and play defense, you're golden. And so it'll be interesting to see how the uh, Kevin Love situation plays out. But right now, I'm scoring the Cavaliers. Minnesota Timberwolves trade has a win for the Timberwolves, and it's a win by a wide margin because they're still up in the air whether or not Kevin Love stays. And I think even if he stays, I don't think he necessarily changes the trajectory of this team all that much. Because he doesn't do the one thing that they need him to do, which is defend really well. Now, does he does he figure it out and get better at that? Because that's a deficiency in his game, right? We talked about this earlier. Is that something that he improves at? Who knows? Maybe he does. Maybe he turns it around. But as of right now, that's what has carried this team, and that's what got them past Atlanta. They made Atlanta do things that Atlanta doesn't want to do, and that was one of the highest most efficient offenses we've seen in quite some time with the Atlanta Hawks and they made them look very stagnant, and they struggled to score points. Um, What are your guys' thoughts on the Love-Wiggins trade in retrospect, given where the Cavaliers are without Love in the lineup? I'll start with you, D. Wills.
3: So, I mean, you know, and I, we talked about it, and, and, you know, I like Wiggins because one of the things uh, for him coming out of college was, they talked about it. his his just – um, commitment to defend, and I had a chance to watch him, and I felt like um, playing him with LeBron, even though there's some areas that he would grow in his game, I think he could grow under LeBron. What he could do right away that I think would LeBron would appreciate is he would give him flexibility um, in terms of defending because he could do that right away, and he's he still committed to that. And so I, I was a little lukewarm on the Kevin Love uh, trade. I think part of it had to do with, um LeBron coming back and uncertainty about how he was going to re-enter with all the stuff coming back having a a rookie NBA type head coach and I think part of the part of the ch- part of the push for bringing some like love is that he brought a veteran leadership along with that along with LeBron that could stabilize protect some of those transition pieces I think that's what they were thinking about in a way in, in retrospect given some of the newness they had coming in base. Uh, and they thought that not only would he, what Love would bring as a superstar, but what he would bring to stabilize given, um, you know, the fact that you're you're bringing in a, a rookie head coach who you think has potential to kind of do that and having LeBron and Kevin working together to to it. It hasn't played out that way. But one of the things that moved that I think um, I probably would have rather them wait on, it did force some pieces to move uh in, in ways and it opened up for some pieces to come in that I think have some long term value if they can hold them together. Um because it forced them to, you know, their start forced them to think about some moves to really flush out their lineup. And I think the addition of J.R. Smith, uh Shumpert and Mosgogh gave them given them a level of versatility and um some flexibility in what they want to do in the off season, um, uh, given the, the people who are coming back from injuries to rethink this in ways. You can never make up for losing the Wiggins, but it allows for them, because of the things you said, game changer, to really think about how they construct that team, given who LeBron is, um, and given the way that Shumpert has played offensively, not defensively, but what he's added mm-hmm. offensively along with his athleticism, and the way that you got to stabilize J.R. Smith like he's not on medication. You know, you got that cat <laughs> playing, yeah. who, got, yeah. who got, when he is? when he is playing right, has superstar ability, right? When he's not in his Mad Max, you know, uh, I'm gonna turn on the world, I'm going to the club mode. That cat got high level ability. He he he's not playing the back seat to anyone. And now he's playing under control and he can defend. So so they've given them that evolution over time has given them some options and I think in some ways it's forced love to think about it may be the reason why I Love might stay in Cleveland because one of the hardest things to do is leave when they looking at you like when you leaving because I got another date here. You know, it's like you ain't the you ain't the star walking in there. You ain't that that fine model in there anymore, and we we try to decide whether you need to stay or go. It's hard for you to leave under them circumstances. It would have been better for them to lose in the Eastern Conference Finals. But the fact they made it to the finals with a, a crippled, hurt up a little bit, uh, 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 Kyrie, and he didn't play—that's gonna put, that's gonna make that's gonna put him in a unique position if he leaves, this, given the potential of them to put multiple championships together. So in some ways, it's kind of falling back in their lap because of what Jr. is doing and what Shumpers doing. And those guys still got more years. And so it's this interesting flexibility they have as the Cavs with some of the free agents who are still in the market this summer.
2: Right, right. And, and I think that's a direct that's a direct result of the LeBron effect, right? And I think there are a lot yeah. of guys you could probably plug in because these guys were both not doing anything like this in New York, right? So it's no. not like they just came into the league. <laughs> they have been in the league, and they weren't doing anything like this in New York. So I think that's the LeBron effect. Now we can't, over, Carmelo, we can't Carmelo, overstate Carmelo though. There, Carmelo over there, like, where y'all? Where were y'all?
1: <laughs>
2: but, <laughs> exactly, and that. But that's why I brought up Booby Gibson, because I think at one point Booby Gibson was a very, very relevant NBA player, right? And we haven't heard mm-hmm. from him since. Since LeBron said, "I'm taking my talents to South Beach," we have not heard from Daniel Booby Gibson since. And so that that also gives me pause and over overstating the production and the value of a uh, J.R. Smith, the value of a Iman Shumpert, knowing that I've seen LeBron do this with other guys before. If he's taken other guys who are marginal players, and, again, he makes decent guys average, average guys good, good guys greater. Um, and that's the LeBron effect. And, but that flexibility, I think, is important. But then when you talk about the talent of Andrew Wiggins, you're talking about, a guy who, within the next five years, may be one of the top ten players in the league. And that is, that's that's going to happen whether he's playing with LeBron or not. So you have a bona fide talent that you gave up. So, it's, it's still time to see. Uh, Kevin Love, to me, is a fugazi. You know, I, I'm not I'm in not on Love. I'm not in on Love. I think he was a bad team stats guy. I just think that's what he was. Um, I think he still has to figure out how to play at a high level. He's 26, going to be 27. I think he has to figure out how to play winning championship basketball. I don't know if he has a desire to do that. Whether or not he stays or not will really be a testament to it. But I think right now there are questions, in my opinion, about whether or not he he he's that's a priority for him, or is it a priority to be to maximize this experience that he has as a being, being an NBA player from a, a marketing perspective, which he can do standing next to LeBron, but he could also do. He's also shown that he can do it standing on his own. So does he want to do it standing on his own, or does he want to do it standing next to LeBron? I think is the ultimate question for him. I'm gonna shift gears real quick. Golden State. Mark Jackson is a very good coach, in my opinion. Very good coach. Um, I think it's it's just mean what ESPN has done, making him do some of these Golden State games. <laughs> 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 it, it's just wrong. It, it, it's just wrong, man.
1: Yeah. But Eric, yeah. I
2: want to get your opinion. What do you think? What buttons do you think Steve Kerr pushed to get this team to go from being a good team? Because I think that's the hardest jump to make: is going from good to great. It's easy to go from okay to good. You add a few pieces, some things come together from a systemic perspective, and you can make that jump. We've seen a lot of teams make that jump from mediocre to good, but to go from good to great, they won sixty-seven games. People forget that. They won as a quiet 67, but they won 67 games. That's a lot of games. That's three short of 70. Three games short of winning 70. That's that's a pretty big deal. So what buttons do you think Steve Kerr puts to get this team to go from
0: good to great? You know, so I really, really, really respect Mark Jackson. I think he's uh, he was an a excellent basketball player, a floor general when he played, and I think he uh, did an excellent job of taking that team – that core that they had in developing developing them, and I think Steph Curry uh, really learned how to play his position because again, when you think about Steph Curry, he didn't come in as a great basketball player into the league. He came in as a great shooter, and he eventually developed these other things that he's doing now, which is how he got to this level. So last year, you know, they were fifty one and thirteen, fifty one and thirty one under under Mark Jackson, and they were a good team, right? They got put out. Uh, relatively early. I think it was the first round last year. And, again, I think this was a situation of not that Mark was a bad coach, but similar to the Chicago situation, the front office, it was not working, right? And and when it comes down to it, it it's uh, upper management has the last laugh. They have the last word. So they made the switch. <clears throat> and I think uh, D. Wills talked about it earlier. So Steve has been around basketball. He's been in the position of trying to understand and been engaged in basketball operations. And I think some of it is similar to the Tony Dungy piece, where he had a Tampa Bay Buccaneers team that was really, really, really good, but they did not get over that hurdle in time. They made the change. John Gruden came in, and Tampa Bay Bucks won that championship, and Tony Dungy ended up in Indianapolis. So I think this was a really good team that uh, last year when they made the playoffs, they were just really learning how to get into the playoffs and learning how to win. And I think for most young teams, you have to learn how to win. You know, you come in not knowing really how to win or lose, you're just playing, right? And and uh, I think that this year what Steve Kerr was able to do that uh, they didn't have last year is they have more of a defensive tenacity. I think he was able to get them to focus in on balling or manning up and playing some defense and get a little rough because as as I think we all see that jump-shooting teams like the Phoenix Suns back in the day, they were the up-tempo, they scored a lot of points, but they couldn't guard anything. They couldn't catch a cold. And so I think what Steve has done is to get them to think more defensive. And even though their offensive rankings increase this year, the defensive rankings increase as well. And when you can increase your offensive and defensive ranking together, um, you've got a very powerful team. So you got guys that can score and guys that are going to man up and play ball. So I think the buttons that um, that Steve Kerr was able to push is to get them to recognize the importance of playing lockdown defense and staying into the team game with the basketball. So uh, Steve Kerr has done an excellent job, don't get me wrong. 67 wins is, is nothing to sneeze at. That's, that's a great record. And this is a very strong team. And while I think, you know, I'll save my predictions for later, Golden State, they're, they're some bad boys. Bad boys.
2: Well, you don't have to save your predictions for later. I think we're going to get into the predictions right now.
1: You listen to the Real
2: Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, dot RSG Renegade Radio brought to you by On the Rocks in Rockford, Illinois. Make sure anytime you're in the Rockford area, you hit them, hit up our man Craig Sockwell, on the Rocks in Rockford, Illinois. Great food, great music, and good people. Make sure you check him out. Tell the Real Sports Guys sent you. we still got to work on those specialty plates, man. We got to get Craig back on. We get those specialty plates uh, in order so that people can order the game changer and the D wheels. And the PhD, we even have to, We have them get the K-Zoo guru as a plate. <laughs> all right, all right.
0: Looking forward so to sure it. make sure
2: you check out our man Craig Stockwell on the Rocks in Rocks Illinois. We're talking NBA Finals. Uh, we just talked about kind of the, the journey and the arc and some of the major questions and some of the major changes that happened with these teams that kind of got them to this point. The love within trade, the switching of the coaches in Golden State. Now it's time to put the rubber to the road. You know, you can't stand on, you can't sit on the fence with the real sports guys. You gotta let us know where you stand as far as who's gonna win this series. So it's prediction time, fellas. We got about two minutes and thirty seconds left. Don't be too brief, all right? Because we can go over, all right. But I, I want you, I want you to be concise with why you think the team that you're picking is gonna win. We'll start with you, D. Wills. I don't have facts to back this up. We never do. <laughs> but, hey, you can say what you want. You're the president of everybody. <laughs> it is what it is when you're the president of everybody.
0: <laughs> D. Wills, where you at?
2: All right,
3: that's Aaron, what happened when you're
0: president of everybody, baby. Yeah, that's cool. true. That, no, 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 I was, I was,
3: I was talking, I was talking like I, I got excited and my mic was off. I, I, I'm going, <laughs> I'm going to Cavs and six because LeBron has some stuff. I said this on uh, to uh, uh, PhD and him. Um, he got some stuff. He doing some mind altering stuff. You ain't gonna know how he did it. You just gonna look and say, how does he have the championship? And so I'm looking at Cavs and six.
1: Mm, Cavs and six,
2: okay. All right, so D. Wills is going Cavs in six. Eric Hamilton, what's your prediction?
0: I like where D. Wills is going, but I'm gonna I'm throw a couple facts at him since uh, since my man didn't have any facts with it. So, my X factor is going to be Tristan Thompson. Tristan Thompson has been averaging 12 points and 12 rebounds since he over the last five games. Uh, out of those uh, 12 rebounds, four have been offensive rebounds. That has been the thing that has changed the game for Cleveland, getting those second chances, the hard working from the Caucasian cat, I can't even think of his name, but the hard worker that's falling out on the ground doing his thing, that hard, that scrappy over. work on top of what – yes, my boy right there – on top of what LeBron James is going to do. That is a bad dude, and he is in control. Uh is going to be able to lock down – not lock down, but he is going to – uh, play Steph Curry very, very tough and make it very difficult for Steph. So I have uh, Schumter um, defending him majority of the time. LeBron James locked it down, my X-Factor. Tristan Thompson averaging 12-12 and four offensive forwards, baby. Cavs in seven. Mm.
2: Cavs in seven. I'll wrap it up with my prediction, and then we'll pass it off to D. Wills for the XL Academics last word. So, my prediction, I'm going Golden State in seven. I think this will be a very, very close series. I'm giving the edge to Golden State. I think of any team in the in the league and in these playoffs, Golden State has the ensemble of wing defenders to be able to throw different bodies, different looks at LeBron for an entire game. I also think because of that versatility, they also will have the ability to play a lot of different ways. Um, I think Cleveland... Right now, because of the limit, the limitedness for Kyrie, um, not having Kevin Love. They can really kind of, they kind of found a groove of a style to play. Um, I think Golden State can throw some curveballs at them and make them play a different style. Um, obviously, they have LeBron, which is, you always got a shot. Um, so that's why I have it going seven. I have Golden State squeaking it out in seven. So that's my prediction. D-Will, you have the last word. All right. Well, I'm going to finish off with this.
3: You know, we'll we'll finish off with the person we just talked about, LeBron James. He said going to Miami was like going to college. And I, what I would say is what I've seen this year is a person who took all those study sessions, all those failures, all those things that he did, and all the stuff he's worked on, and he's packaged it in for this moment. We have Kyrie fall off, Kevin Love falls off, and... There are times with LeBron James uh life where he might look shook or he might whatever, but that was when he was facing the Spurs. The only other folks who kinda have this matrix, this kind of control, this, this kinda this, this this supernatural way in which they are able to alter an outcome. Right now he's the only person with involved. Like a Jedi person, but the Jedi trick. And the only way I think Golden State can beat him is if